Let's pray. Holy God, come. Fill our hearts and minds as you love to do. Open your word. Give us receptive hearts. Give us the will and the courage to put into practice in our lives what you speak into our hearts this day, we pray. And we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Regret is a very enervating, disturbing human experience. Regret, usually kind of characterized by the phrase, I wish I knew then what I know now. If only I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have done that stupid thing that I did. I wish I knew then. Sense of regret. It can be simple things. It can be answering your door when that person comes knocking and says, I need to see your, your electric, not your electricity, your gas bill to make sure that you are getting all the discounts that you are entitled to. Let me see your gas bill. And after presenting your gas bill and signing up, you discover that you just signed yourself into a binding contract with some alternate gas supplier of dubious ethical quality, and you have no way of getting out of it. Uh, I wish I knew then what I know now. Or it may have been when you were 16, 17 years old, and somebody gave you your first joint. And they said, oh, you can really get a buzz on with this. It, it makes life so much easier. And so you took that first joint. And now, some years later, are saying to yourself, I wish I knew then what I know now. I never would have taken that first joint. It might have saved me from getting into another whole area of life that has affected me drastically. If ever there was one who could have suckered people in and got them to make all kinds of promises and commitments without knowing, it would have been Jesus. Recognize the absolute magnetic personality that he had. And if he had said to people, jump off a cliff, I'm sure they would have. He had that ability, that power to draw people in that they would follow, but yet he did not want people to come back later and say, but, but you, you sold me a bill of goods. You, you didn't tell me the whole story. You didn't read me the fine print. Jesus wanted people to know beforehand what the cost was before they made the commitment. 
He was not trying to sucker people in and then somehow later on reveal what they had really committed to. Picture the scene, the context leading up to the scripture that I'm going to read in a moment. You all know the scene well. They were on the way from, uh, to the town of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And some said, oh, I'm John the Baptist. Or Kindly, they only told him the good things that people were saying. <laughs> they didn't tell him the things like, people think you're a darn idiot. People think you're off your nut. They didn't tell him that. They said, well, maybe John the Baptist, maybe one of the prophets. And who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you're, you're the Christ, the, the son of the living God. And at that point, Jesus started to talk about suffering. He started to talk about death. And good old Peter. Peter comes and puts his arm around him and says, Jesus, hey, buddy, come on, let's go for a walk. Uh, um, I, I don't know how you picture Peter. I, I picture him as a big fisherman. If you could count them, he has more tattoos than he has teeth. <laughs> but he's got a heart that's about this big, and, and he just wants to kind of Dutch Uncle Jesus and say, come on, we've we, we got to talk here. You, you can't talk about suffering. You can't talk about death. Who's going to follow you if you do that? You see, Peter and the disciples at the time had an idea of what change was going to look like. And it was what we in the counseling department might call first order change. First order change is we got A over B, and we're going to switch that, and we got B over A. And the people that were on the bottom are now on the top. And so somehow Peter, the disciples, had this first order change parody going on that would say, we want you to come in on a white charger, and we want you to come in with your sword, and we want you to hack to pieces all these people that are in our way so that we who were on the bottom can now be on the top. And Jesus said, well, actually, there's going to be something that's called second-order change. Second-order change is we're going to throw out the whole A over B paradigm, and we're going to bring in something that is absolutely new, and we're going to bring in something that is transformative because life, death, resurrection is going to change the whole way we look at things. And so with that background here from Mark's Gospel... Then Jesus called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus wanted no regrets. No, I wish I knew then what I know now. He kind of laid it all out and said, this is what you're signing on for. Read the fine print 
before you sign on. So some of the things that he said that kind of ring true in my life, perhaps in yours. One of the things he said is, uh, whoever wants to save one's life will lose it. Have you ever looked at the amount of time and energy we put trying to extend our life as long as possible? So if the person beside us has a cold, what do you do? You, you leave three seats between you and them. Or how many times a day do you wash your hands? Now, I know it's a good thing to wash your hands, but how many times? How, what kind of alarm system do we have on our homes to protect all ourselves and our property? How many times do we check the stock market to see if, our, if we really will ever be able to retire? And Jesus is saying, the more we're trying to protect that self, the more, in effect, we are losing ourself all the time. The more time and energy we put into extending our life, the more, in fact, we're losing our life in that process. And it's very easy to be concerned and committed to all kinds of challenges and concerns and causes by saying, oh yeah, I'll stand behind that cause. I'll write them a check. But we never really get involved. And Jesus is saying, the more you spend your time protecting yourself, the more you're losing life all the time. And perhaps you have also had the other experience where Jesus said, and the more you lose your life, you find it. Have you had that experience? Where you just give and give because of something that you are passionate about. And it doesn't matter what it costs you personally. It doesn't matter what it costs you emotionally. You just keep giving and giving and giving. And at the end, one would think that you would be so exhausted by it all that you'd never do it again. When, in fact... At the end of it all, after giving everything, you say to yourself, wow, I feel better now. I'm drained. But giving my life away, I actually found that I gained more than I gave away. And Jesus said, what I want you to do is pick up your cross. As I listen to people, I think there is an awful lot of misunderstanding about what it means to pick up your cross. How many times have you heard the phrase, 
Well, the cross I have to bear is dot, dot, dot. What do people fill in when they say the cross I have to bear is? My ailing mother. Um, my rebellious teenager. The cross I have to bear is my rebellious teenager. Or it may be that they will look at themselves and their own personality and they will talk about their own character flaws and say, well, the, the cross I have to bear is my temper. I'm working on it, but that's the cross I have to bear. I don't think any of those are what Jesus is talking about. Because when Jesus talks about bearing a cross, he's talking about picking up something freely, willingly, that we did not have to pick up. Your ailing mother, guess what? You don't have a choice. <laughs> you got to pick that up. You're a rebellious teenager, you got to pick that up. You don't have a choice. What is it that is your cross that you do pick up, that you do have a choice about. You don't have a choice about writing an essay for me that's due today. I know that. You don't have a choice. That is not the cross you have to bear. But there are some things that you do have a choice about. Some of you will be going on to ministry. Some of you will be going on to counseling. Think for a moment about who are the people that I would love to work with in my ministry? Got a picture of that for a moment? Characterize them? Most often, it's, well, people just like me. People that are intelligent and kind and educated and resourceful. And those are the kind of people I want to work with. And then think about who are the people that you least want to work with. And who, who is that group for you? The rednecks or the, I don't know. Who, who is it that you least want to work with? And could it be that somewhere in all that, Jesus is, Jesus is saying, pick up the ones that maybe you don't want to. For me personally, it began a couple of years ago with a phone call that began with the phrase, you probably don't remember me. I hate that phrase. <laughs> because underneath, you know there is this deep longing that says, but I really, really hope you do remember me. And I hate looking at them and saying, you're right, I don't remember you from, I have no idea who you are because that would seem very hurtful and cruel. But he started with that phrase, you probably don't remember me. And then he went on to talk about the context where we had met, where, again, several years ago, I had spoken at a men's conference, and he had been there. And he kind of said, yeah, I, okay, yeah, I, I, I sort of remember you. And then he dropped the bomb, and he said, I've just been arrested. I said, oh, okay, tell me more. Um, 
The police just seized my computer, and on that computer, I had thousands of images of illegal child pornography. And I want to come to you for counseling. Shall I tell you what my immediate human response was? My immediate human response was, drop dead and rot, you miserable piece of human filth. That was sort of my, my nice, quiet, subtle <laughs> internal response. And I had no idea what to do. Um, and, and so the first thing, my, my usual strategy is when you don't know what to do, buy some time. <laughs> so I bought some time and, and said, probably this is all going to involve lots and lots of court stuff. And you're probably going to want to have some kind of official report that's going to go into courts. And, I don't know that I have any of the qualifications necessary for me to be able to write something that would be in any way useful for you. So why don't you go talk to your lawyer and, and tell your lawyer that you need somebody, but see who your lawyer recommends, and then call me back, click. After that, I had some real wrestling go on inside myself as God and I have this kind of dialogue that, that went something like this. Do I have to? <laughs> and God said, no. You don't have to. And I said, I don't want to. And God said, I understand. Jesus didn't want to either. And I thought, there's, there's got to be somebody else out there. <laughs> and, and God said, yeah, there are. There are lots of other people out there, and people who will probably do a better job than you. <laughs> but I just felt a calling, an urgency, um, not a martyr thing that said, if I don't do it, nobody else will, but just a sense of peace that said, well, maybe this is what I have to pick up as my cross. It's not Jesus' cross. It's not God's cross. It's not your cross. It was my cross to be able to say, I have to see if I can work with this fellow and see if there is any way we can bring some kind of understanding, some kind of healing. But again, my, some of my first responses were, what about my kids? What about my grandchildren? Has, has he offended against anybody I know? Or who has he offended against? And do I really want to be involved with this? And then I said, yeah, I, I can do this. So today, just let the Spirit of God breathe over all of us to say, what does it mean to us to pick up a cross? Nobody else's cross. 
You don't have to pick it up for somebody else, but just, is there something that God is laying on you to say, even though I might not like it or want to, I just feel that urgency that says, yes. If so, pick up that cross. Be steadfast. Amen.